Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. Band are sounding good this morning, I think. Yeah, fantastic. Um, Tony, who's here today, is our new cafe manager, business leader. But uh, Tony said it's just so great to be here. And uh, Tony's you know, worked for decades uh, in various businesses in the catering industry. And he just said, how amazing to be able to start the day with prayer and worship. Sometimes we forget what a privilege it is to be able to do this, to just center ourselves, focus ourselves on Jesus, worship him. Your day is so different because you do this. If you take it seriously, if you come into this with the right attitude, your day is going to be so much more productive. You're going to arise and glorify his name and what a difference that will make in you and through you. So thank you, Lord. Good. Okay. Isaiah 44, we're up to for people like Tony and you. We've been journeying through Isaiah for the last couple of years, believe it or not. Uh, well, I have anyway on these Tuesday mornings and uh, I've even written a book about it. Well, Al's helped me and uh, so lots of these talks and it might be if you are new, you get hold of that book and catch up uh, with some of the things we think the Lord's been saying to us. Now, one of the things I, I don't do, don't like to do, I hope you've noticed is, is uh, diss other Christian leaders. Well, I mean, it's hard enough being a Christian leader. It, uh, can seem glamorous or it's the loneliest thing in the world sometimes um but i couldn't resist just mentioning uh victoria Rostein, and some of you have seen this uh this uh youtube video that's been doing the rounds of of the internet uh in the last week and uh, her, she, along with her husband joel she leads the largest church in america lakewood church and uh, my guess is she said something in a way she didn't want to say it. You know, we've all done that. I mean, I'm never appropriate, but on this occasion, <laughs> let's think the best of Victoria. She was being inappropriate. And, uh, and there's the, this, it is a funny video, actually, because she's there, this massive prosperity gospel church in America. And her husband's kind of smiling, but at the same time kicking her in the shins. You can almost see it, you know, because... Uh, and at the end of the video, that's, that's got well over a million hits on YouTube and caused all sorts of oh, discussion... Um, Somebody's put this little Bill Cosby thing. That's the most stupid thing I've ever heard in my life. Because Victoria Austin, seriously, in front of 25,000 people in their church and millions more on YouTube, says this. When we obey God, we're not doing it for God. We're doing it for ourselves. When you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself. Because that's what makes God's ha- God, that's what makes God happy. Now, that is the most stupid thing I've ever heard in my life. But um, what she said is actually the ultimate end of the man-centered gospel, isn't it? It's the ultimate end of everything the gospel's not about, i.e. it's all about me. Have you ever sung that? Have you ever gone, it's all about me, Jesus? Oh, no. I mean, it's all about you. Oh, I repent of that. You bet you have, haven't you? I bet you've done it. Fortunately, we don't sing that song, so it's less likely to, we're less likely to make that mistake. But uh, even if we don't sing it, often we live like it, don't we, sometimes? That first and foremost, this gospel is to make us happy. First and foremost, it's all about me. 
I mean, how wrong is that? First and foremost, it's all about him. It's about his mission, actually. His glory. And that's Isaiah in a nutshell. If you want the first 43 chapters to catch up, if you are new this morning, God will be glorified in the nations. And God will have a people. Nothing, no one is going to stop that happening. Clever, militant atheists like Richard Dawkins aren't going to stop that happening. Evil men who are prepared to bury Christians alive and chop their heads off in the Middle East aren't going to stop that happening. God will be glorified and God will have a people. And God has a priority. And his priority, people, hard as it may be for you to understand or believe in this me-centered consumer culture, his priority is not your happiness. It's not my happiness. Oh, I'm going to heaven. That's going to be a very, very happy place. It's going to be amazing. But right now, in this short period on this earth, his priority is his glory being seen in the nations. And the nations, as a result, being drawn to him. According to Jesus, his priority over you and over me is the lost. And if you've bought into the spirit of the age, I'm sure you find that very hard to believe. Surely I'm your priority, God. I'm your child. I'm your beloved. I'm your saved. You're anointed. But actually, read what Jesus said about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. The picture of God leaving behind the 99 and chasing after the one smelly lost sheep because of his great heart for the lost. Picture of God having a priority for those outside the kingdom, even over and above his own people. Now, if you find that hard to comprehend, this is the way I heard it explained. A few years ago, I went to Typhoon Lagoon. You ever been to that? World's best water park. Now, Disney World and Disneyland are of the devil. They're supposed to be the happiest places on earth. They're actually the most miserable places on earth. Who wants to queue up for three hours for a stupid ride and have lots of smiling Americans telling you, telling you, to, have a hap- telling you to have a happy day, you know, and all that, and telling you how awesome everything is, and when your kids are driving your crackers and the board's stiffer because we've queued for so long. And, you know, Disneyland is horrible. It costs you a fortune. Don't do it. However, Disney water parks, that's another thing altogether. They're of the Lord. They're amazing places. <laughs> They're amazing places. And the best Disney water park is called Typhoon Lagoon. It has like 10-foot waves and incredible slides. You know, the biggest and best and baddest in the world. Well, about 10 years ago, we took Sam and Beth to Typhoon Lagoon. Sam's so Sam. No, no, can't mean. It must be 15. Sam's about nine. Beth's about six. And we were having a great time in this water park. And our friends decided to enter the hula hoop competition. My friend Carl, if you know Carl, you'll understand this, not only entered the Typhoon Lagoon hula hoop competition, but won the Typhoon Lagoon hula hoop competition. So we're all laughing at Carl doing these hula hoop things against some, you know, world-class hula hoop people. And Carl won the whole competition. It was amazing. And we're laughing as a family, watching him go through round after round and win the whole thing. And then we looked around. No, Sam. I'm like, oh my goodness. Where's Sam gone? Where's my nine-year-old boy? No Sam, Beth, Mum, me, Gail. No, no Sam. So, suddenly a massive flap. Now, suddenly, what's my priority? My priority as a father is to find my lost son, isn't it? And there's all sorts of rumours going around about 
Peter Peter Fowles praying on Disney World. You may have heard of this. And on the water parks. And I'm thinking, oh no. My son's in danger. My son's lost. Now at that moment when my obsession, my priorities, find my son, rescue him. He's only nine years old. He's in all sorts of danger. My priority is Sam. Now Beth's here by my side. Do I love Sam more than Beth? No, I don't. But she's safe. And he's in danger. She's got all my blessings. She's got all my resources. She's got all my love. He's here. But my priority, Jesus paints a picture of a father with a priority towards lost people. It's what makes what we do so glorious on his behalf. Running with his heartbeat, safe in his family, secure in his love, but chasing after people who are in such danger. Lost sheep. That's Isaiah, if you like. Yes, there's grave warnings about what will happen if we turn our back on God. But praise God for chapters like Isaiah 44, when grace and love have the last word. Let me read these few words. But now, listen, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen, this is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant. Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. One will say, I belong to the Lord. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob. Still another will write on his hand the Lord's and will take the name of Israel. There's some marvelous buts in the Bible. Full of them. Not talking about Jennifer Lopez here or Kylie Minogue. I'm talking about divine buts. But, uh, yes, there's been stories of what will happen, prophecies about what will happen if you reject the Lord, if you turn away from the Lord. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to move out of his will and his love and go your own way? But grace always has the last word. But God's always got a plan to bring you back. But God's on the move. But God is chasing down lost people and lost sheep. But God is looking across the fields, even to see the slight turning of the heart to run after you and kiss you and cuddle you and put a robe on you and a ring on your finger and celebrate because my son was dead and now he's alive. That's the picture of our God. But now listen, oh Jacob. Israel, whom I've chosen. It's interesting, there's this interplay in Isaiah 44 between calling God's people Jacob, the deceiver, and Israel, the chosen one. And uh, do you ever flap between the two? Being a bit of a ducker diver, trying to wriggle your way out of God's will, or just being accepted as his chosen people. But listen, whatever you're at at the moment, whether you're Israel, secure in his love, God's chosen people, or whether you're Jacob, the deceiver, the ducker diver, Wherever you are, listen. Listen, the Lord says. God implores his people to listen. God's speaking, so will you please listen? And in his name, our job, message, trust is to implore people to listen to the Lord. To go into prisons, listen to the Lord. To go into schools, listen to the Lord. To go into tough communities, listen to the Lord. Listen to all the 
benefits that come with knowing Christ, being the found rather than the lost. Listen, you can have a new name. You can be part of the chosen people of God. Give ear to the one who speaks. You see, right now God is speaking. God isn't quiet. If we will give ear, the Lord will speak. And we could say, listen, I'm doing a new thing, couldn't we? As well as see, I'm doing a new thing. Are you listening to the Lord? You give the Lord time to speak to you. The Lord's not quiet. Sometimes we have so much noise in our life and we carve out so little time to spend with him, we never hear him speak. But the Lord is going to speak if you just give him time. That's all my experience. And as I've said in this place, I think before, most often when the Lord speaks, the Lord does speak through preachers, of course he does, and, and in the worship, but most often the time I've heard God speak most profoundly to me is when I've carved out some time on my own. When I've disciplined myself to spend time, just me and God, when nobody else knows, but it's for him and I need to hear him. Our God's a God who speaks, but are we listening? Now, listen, says the Lord. And this is what he says. He says, I formed you in the womb. Right there, in Isaiah 44, is the biggest argument against abortion. Don't you think? The Lord formed us in the womb. And in a room like this, almost certainly, because I've seen the stats, there'll be people who've had abortions. And God doesn't want you to live under condemnation. But God wants now, no, like so much of the things I did before I was saved. That is so wrong. That is so not God's plan. There should be another four or five million people on the streets of this nation. And, and we, because we're so about me, because it's so about me and my desires and my needs, and we're so bought in to this consumer culture I've been talking about, we even think that the cost of the death of a child who the Lord knitted together in his mother's womb isn't too big a price to pay. What kind of a messed up society is that, people? But God says, give ear, there's a better way, there's my way. And with it comes freedom and joy. And my way is this. I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I love the way the Lord likes to re-emphasize his promises in the scriptures. Stick in the book of Isaiah over and he says the same things in different ways. I mean, really, that's actually the art of good preaching. Isaiah was a good preacher. Uh, good, most good preachers only have one message. The job is just to find 27 million different ways of saying it. Like banging a nail in a wall. And uh, Isaiah, you know, Isaiah's got one message. Uh, the Lord's glory will be known in the nation. The Lord will have a people. But he finds multiple different ways of saying it. And he re-emphasizes it. And what I love with the message trust leading this thing at the moment is the way the Lord's bringing back old promises. Bringing them front and center. Like the Lord said 26 years ago, whatever it is, the Lord said, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. There's going to be streams in the desert, rivers in the wasteland. How encouraging is when you're in the presence of the Lord and you're reading his word. And I was sat on a train yesterday reading this again. And you read, I will pour water on thirsty land. I will 
pour streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit. I felt the Lord say, I meant it. 27 years, 27 it is, 27 years ago when I spoke to you in that bedroom and said, see, I'm doing a new thing. There'll be rivers in the desert, streams in the wasteland. Yes, I've done some of that, but there's so much more to come. It's an underlining. Do you get it? Okay, good. The Lord's got his marker out. Look, check it out. I will do this. I'm the God who does this. I specialize in going to the driest, darkest, most barren places and pouring down my spirit. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring, on your descendants. Part of the reason I think that the angels get so excited. Well, you know, the worship in heaven goes gets taken up with not just who God is, but what he does when people get saved, when the lost are found, is because it's generations that change. It's it's not one generation. It's your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, your great-great-grandkids when you're in heaven. That's what's happening when these people genuinely receive Christ in school and prison and in these communities. Generations are changed. Man, you know, isn't it going to be great? My great-granddad, Robert Hawthorne, I can't go. My mum's got this family tree, you know. She does this thing, and she's got it all drawn up like a family tree, going right back through the generations. God's hand on our family is so precious. And even now, Sam Hawthorne's going to join us here at the message this week. And Beth Beth Hawthorne's going off with Iris Ministries. And my brother's involved in you know missionary work out in Hong Kong and my other brother's doing this Dalit work and my dad was a preacher and my mum's this amazing well I think she's an amazing woman of God and, and my granddad was a Salvation Army officer and my great granddad was the first missionary to India and you trail it back well last, yesterday I was with Gavin Calver Gavin Calver who leads Youth for Christ he's well there's eight generations of ministers in his family far back as they go Eight generations. His granddad founded Tear Fund. Not a bad one to have on your CV, that is it. His, his dad founded Spring Harvest. And was the, Clive Calver was the, you know, was the leader of the Evangelical Alliance and done all this amazing stuff all over the world. And he's now leading Youth for Christ. What an incredible thing when one person gets saved. And it's passed down the generations. Your descendants will be blessed. And even if you haven't got kids of your own, you can have spiritual children, can't you? Who you bring up in the Lord and you pass on the baton to the next generation. And we all need those as well, don't we? What a wonderful, wonderful thing. I will pour my, out my spirit, not just on your offspring, on your descendants. Come on. Let's get excited when somebody gets genuinely saved. And, and what the plan that the devil had. For that family to go worse and worse and cause more and more chaos is interrupted by God. And suddenly it's one degree of glory to another. It's this incredible multiplication that happens when people come to know Christ. Sounds a bit like Joel, don't you think? Joel 2, 29. This is a promise, a promise for a thousand years before Christ promise for the time of Christ, but also a promise for the end days when Joel, and we know that because Peter quoted it, of course, on the day of Pentecost, when Joel says, I will, this is the day of the Lord, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. And I've, um, 
I'm a bit worried about this scripture, actually, because I've been having more God dreams recently. <laughs> I have, actually. But Joel 2.29, it's happening, people. There's an unprecedented move of the Holy Spirit in our time, in our day. The Lord is pouring out his Spirit on all flesh. It's happening. Visions, dreams, the stuff we read about in Isaiah is happening in our day. Why? Because it's the end days. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. I'll tell you what, he's coming back soon. And before he comes back, let's go after some lost people. Let's, let's populate heaven. Let's give him great glory by the way we live. Let's do things that count for all eternity. The Lord isn't pouring out his spirit primarily so that we can be happy. So that we can experience the thrill of the fill. Of course it feels good sometimes to be, to be full of the Holy Spirit. Other times it feels, you feel utterly broken, don't you? It's not about how we feel. It's not about our happiness. It's about a far bigger agenda than that. The glory of God in the nations and a heaven that needs populating our God who will have a people and is determined that he will find a people who will cooperate with him in that great adventure at all costs. A faithful, fruitful, spirit-filled people is what the Lord is looking for. Let's stand together. It was D.L. Moody who said, I just need filling every day because I leak. Ain't that the truth? God, we just pray that you will pour out your spirit on us and through us on future generations. God, we pray that we can be a people more than ever that make your priority our priority. Whatever the cost. We've only got this one short life to chase after lost people who are in such danger heading for a lost eternity. I pray, God, you'll help us at the Message Trust to wake up. And I know so often I just conform to the pattern of this age, conform to this culture. I just buy in as if it's all about me and my little needs. Oh, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive us. Help us to be bigger than that. It's all about you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Why don't you just pray for the person next to you and pray, would you pray just simply, God, fill this man, fill this woman with your Holy Spirit. Pour your spirit down, not so that they can feel good, but so they can be good, so they can develop the fruit of your spirit, so they can chase after lost people like never before. In Jesus' name, go for it. Yes, Lord, fill us. Oh, we need you, Lord. We need you. Fill us to overflowing. So we can do things we could never do on our own. We could respond that we'll never respond. We can live like we'd never live as we live the Jesus life. We're going to sing one last song together. Before we do, I'd love it if you just pray, pray again. Uh, in fact, two twos, four fours, because I want at least three people to pray in agreement. And we've got, we're going to have got two days where we can really pray over the whole ministry and share vision. And we're going to have an amazing time. We'll have a communion together, see lots of our creatives doing their creative things. We're going to have a brilliant couple of Monday and Tuesday. 
so we'll have lots of time to pray. But just this morning, I want us to pray again about the manse because I really don't feel we can let go of this thing. God is starting to give us increasing favour at the council, which is so exciting. But today, or this week anyway, signs are going to go up, uh, as they do when you've applied for planning permission. And they're around that neighbourhood, saying what we want to do with the manse. It would make a huge difference to the success of the project if nobody complains. People complain, local residents complain. It has to go to a committee and it opens up a bit of a can of worms. I wonder if we could pray in Jesus' name, no complaints. In Jesus' name, favour over this project. When Simon was sharing that, I thought, let's pray that. Can we pray that? God, we pray people who are going to kick off. We just pray you'll blind their eyes to those signs. And uh, that we'll be able to do something that will be an absolute blessing to that community. We're convinced the manse will be that. It'll be a blessing to the community and the people who live there. But we need this favour right now. So just, you know, in your groups... But we sing one last song together. I'd love it if we just pray for that. Okay? Go for it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams. 